everyone, how's it going? Welcome to the Know Your Gear podcast, episode 330. <laughs> 330, as far as we know. As far as we we know. Uh, it's a fun little fun fact. There's different amounts of episodes on YouTube than there is on the uh, Spotify and uh, you know iTunes and all that stuff. And it's because I would do bonus podcasts um, that were just audio only and I would throw them on there. And then sometimes I start throwing them on the second channel. So there's actual bonus podcasts on the Filming Night 2 channel. So you know. So if the numbers always seem a little weird, that's why. Generally speaking, the highest number is the total amount of podcasts I've done. One of the first early questions I saw was from Can. He's mad at these cans. Stay away from this can. Poor Can. Can, if you're, I don't know your age, but if you're like my age or older, you probably had to deal with a lot of the jerk comments. If your name's Can, like stay away from, he's mad at these cans. Anyways, I'm sorry if people did that to you before, but it's a great movie. Um, on a side note, it's, I'm traumatized because it's a movie I've probably seen about 450 times. And uh, my kids, both my kids, who I still love uh, after this, would not, both, halfway through the movie, got up and left. <laughs> they didn't even make it to OptiGrab. They didn't even make it to OptiGrab. Anyways, I still love them. Anyways, uh, Can says, guys, what do you think about Behringer pedals? Any good? Josh, he means Josh Scott from JHS Pedals, is, is right. Josh is right or do they suck? say who would want to question josh at this point um i did a video reviewing them if you guys recall they were on sale at sweetwater for like a super stupid cheap price and i bought a bunch i reviewed them and of course as i reviewed them i got rid of them um so the review i gave is pretty accurate i mean obviously josh scotch is going to be more in depth and, and better like i look at josh scott and pedals to like what I do when I do the deep dive on guitars. It's really involved where my pedal reviews and, and amp reviews are more of general, you know, as a guitar player kind of thing. But, uh, Behringer pedals, you know, can, I, I know it's, an, I love these kind of questions cause I can, I know that this is a thing cause I've, we, you know, I've been there where you're at like, you know, should I get this cheap stuff? Should I get this, you know, should I wait? Should I spend a little money? There's first, I always got to start with, usually don't regret spending a little bit more money. Usually. The other thing is, um, Behringer product, especially the pedals and pedals like that stuff you find on Amazon. I want to put that into the good enough category of gear. Okay. So I think that is a great term, right? Uh, instead of, you know, some of the hard lines that people take on the internet, this sucks. And this is great. And if you don't buy this, you're an idiot. And if you buy that, you're an idiot, which could just make you just go crazy. I like the good enough gear, uh, logic, uh, Behringer pedals are good enough gear. In other words, they get a job done. They they will make noise. <laughs> they will make distortions. They will make compression. They will make uh, the EQ. They will make chorus. They will make flanging effects. Um, if they were, if I had, if somebody handed me a bunch and told me to make music, I would make music and I would probably be happy all night. And if I was in front of an audience, it's fine. However, that being said. There is a lot better for not a whole lot more money. You know, uh, the thing with Behringer to me, which I probably didn't say in the video because I can't think of everything when I do a video, is to me, I've never been unhappy with Boss pedals. Boss pedals used not a whole ton more on average than a new Behringer pedal. So maybe, maybe look at used Boss pedals or used MXR pedals. Um, I think MXR and, and Boss are like forever pedals. That's so think about that. So, so Behringer's good enough gear where Boss and MXR are forever product. It's, you buy it and it's just there forever. Um, 
And uh, so I would suggest that. But again, if you buy a couple Behringer pedals, I don't think you'll be unhappy. I don't I don't see why. Some people are going to say they hiss. They do. Some people will say they don't last because they're plastic. It's probably true. Who knows? Um, you know, I've broken everything except for a boss pedal. <laughs> I've never broke a boss pedal. I ran a boss pedal over my truck. Uh, my 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 metal zone uh, was in a box of, of cables and somebody put it on the back tire of my truck. I was like probably 18 years old. No, I was 19, 19 years old. And I backed up the truck and went over it. Um, and uh, just to give you a, a mindset at the time, I wasn't traumatized for a moment because one, I knew it would work. No, actually I was laughing because I was just impressed that my truck could go over a bump. I was like, woohoo, look at trucks are cool, I guess. And then, um, and then the boss pedal works. <laughs> it worked for many years after that. So I would say, uh, are they any good? Yeah, Behringer pedals are good. Good enough. But you can get a lot better for not a whole lot, lot more money. So, but either way, I think you'd be fine. So <laughs> Warren says, life is too short for hiss. Well, that's that goes on the second part of this, right? Is, yeah, man, could I, could I deal with some issues on some cheap gear? Sure. Look, there's going to be issues. Cheap cables, cheap things have sometimes have little little problems, little quirks, and you just get around them and you live with them. Um, like one of my favorite amplifiers is the Fender Supersonic, the Supersonic 22. I have that head. I love it, but it is it hisses. It drives me nuts. It's got a little tone, a little hiss to it. Uh, it's always a shh. It does that light. And you don't notice it until, of course, you're practicing late at night and you turn it down. And then the hiss in the amp and the distortion... And even the clean channel gets a little much. And of course, I don't know if you know the amp, it's more problematic with the reverb. So the more you, reverb you turn up, the more hiss you get as well. And uh, it's just something in that amp that just sucks. But I love that amp. And I love the fact that that amp is half the price of another amp that I would love, you know, suggest to you that I'd love that doesn't do the hiss, but it's double the price. So is so the question of the day is, is it worth two, two times what a Supersonic 22 is to get rid of some hiss? I don't know. I guess if you got the scratch and it really bugs you, then yeah. But if not, it's fine. It's good enough. Good enough gear. Uh, let's see. Is that a good? <laughs> Vim69. Vim's been around for a long time on the channel. I love the diehards that have been here, man. I, I appreciate you guys so much. Vim says, don't let Shauna know you're buying Behringer. Uh, so Vim's remembers this, that... Uh, uh, I, I've told this story a long time ago. Maybe it's funny again, but it's a great story. Um, when I, uh, when my wife and I opened the store, uh, my wife, Shauna, who's been around gear her whole life, you know, she had to learn the retail world of guitar business, right? So she knew how to do repair work. She knew guitars. She knew stuff. She knew a lot of stuff that, you know, from being around me, but she didn't know like the retail world so much, all the product SKUs and all the product names. And so our first or second NAM, I want to say the second NAM show, I, I, we carried Boss. We were a Boss dealer. And I uh, basically had Shauna, uh, my wife, I had her go with the rep, or I think it was the product manager for Boss. I can't remember. Either way, um, I said, hey, this is a great opportunity for you to learn about Boss pedals and, and pedals in general and teach you all about Boss pedals. So they taught her all about pedals. And one of the things she came back with was, uh, she's telling me what she learned. And one of the things she learned is that Behringer rips off everybody and they're horrible and they rip off Boss. And they told her something and whether it's true or not, I do not know, but it is something they told her, which is they told her that Behringer ripping off Boss is one of the reasons Boss does not develop a ton of new products every year 
because it costs so much money in R&D and time to make a new product and then they make the product and then it sells for a short while before the Behringer ripoff comes out and the ripoffs come out. And so she uh, she told me, she's like, we're never gonna carry Behringer and she would not, and forever she would never let me own a Behringer product because she was like, I just don't like that because she felt really bad for the, look, this is the person that imparted knowledge about pedals to her and then imparted that Behringer is a horrible company. So she had that stance. Plus my, my wife is strongly into the ethics of everything, um, <laughs> really, really to the, to the point where it's, uh, my wife doesn't like, if they say don't get out of line, my wife doesn't get out of the line, you know, step on the grass. That's just kind of her mentality. Um, but the, um, the important part of the story is yes, BIMS forever. In fact, the, the only way I broke that was I did eventually did a video on a Behringer attenuator that I bought and it was because of you guys requesting it so, so, so much. And, uh, she was like, well, if that's what they want, you know, so she's like, she understood the value. She's like, look, it's just give your honest opinion about it. That's what they're asking for. So we did it. And that's how I got Behringer pedals. So there you go. So is, uh, I, I could ask her on the next, uh, uh, podcast we do together, the bonus podcast, if she's, what's her opinion on Behringer's? My guess is it's probably not good, but she'll probably say you can do whatever you want. So she says, she's probably like, <laughs> she's she she probably does she says a lot just i don't know i don't agree but do whatever you want <laughs> okay all right uh another early question um was jared last week he asked us about his hummingbird having a slope on the back of his neck or at least not a slope he was saying that the last four or five frets were lower than the rest of the frets is that okay i gave him some feedback on that he's saying last week um he he said, uh, a luthier made it seem like it could actually buy more time on the neck reset, question mark. I, uh, uh, frets do need leveled too. Okay, so basically, uh, well, he's, so he basically took it to a luthier who said their frets do need to be leveled. So I was okay, I was right on that. I'm not really sure if I understand uh, it would buy him more time on the neck reset. I saw a question during the week or saw a comment during the week that... Um, uh, Driftwood Guitars, which is a great acoustic channel, uh, was saying that sometimes the you know manufacturers want want to slope that on purpose. That's possible. Like I said, I don't build acoustics. I've just worked on so many, and um, you got to understand, I work on a crap ton, or my uh, acoustic wise, a crap ton of cheap guitars, cheap acoustics. Uh, not, when I say cheap, let's be clear. I'm talking about thousand dollar and below. Please don't be offended by that, everybody. What I'm saying is, if you're not in acoustics, you understand a thousand dollars still isn't buying you into a real real acoustics yet. Um, please take no offense to that, but uh, that's something that you have to be aware of, right? Um, ac acoustic aficionados uh, don't consider like, you know, th th those price acoustics to be the, is legit, you know, for the most part. So, uh, so uh, essentially there could be reasons for everything. I don't know, <laughs> but in my experience, you uh, on a neck, I want all the frets to be level. That's essentially what I want. And of course, in my climate, uh, stuff like that is always a concern because like I said, it means that the guitar is drying out in a really bad way, but it could be on certain acoustics. They do that on purpose. And a lot of times they might do something strange and specific, especially to a handmade high-end acoustic. And of course I say handmade just to be clear, pretty much every acoustic on the world in the world is handmade. That's the beautiful thing about acoustics. Even a $199 acoustic is handmade. There's not a whole lot for a CNC to do on acoustic. It can cut out the shapes, but after that pretty much need to be glued by hand and, and uh, wet and shaped by hand. In other words, put in the jigs, I should say. They kind of wet, you know, put it in the jigs and shape it and then glue it together by hand. So what's nice about acoustic guitars is uh, pretty much every price point acoustic guitar is still pretty much made by hand. 
So there you go. But I'm glad um, you got some information on that. And I'm glad that they agreed that the frats need to be leveled because that's one thing I, I think is very important. So. All right. What else? Let's do. Let me refresh this. I like when I say that it means nothing to you guys. Like I said, I have multiple screens. I look at everything, like all these screens, you're looking at one thing, just my cool hat and awesome guitars, maybe. Um, this, uh, the first question I got from chromos Chromosomed, Chromosomed, said, thank you for the super chat, by the way. It says, hey, Phil, I used a com used combo tube amp for home, okay, and small gigs. Don't know what things look, oh, don't know what look, oh, so you're looking for a used combo amp tube amp for home and small gigs don't know what things to look for any tips i would like a clean and dirty channel possibly i play a lot of prog rock by the way listen to i have no idea it's some band i can't pronounce <laughs> so i'm gonna google search it there's just too many letters going in too many directions on this uh all right so it's uh, I don't know how you say it. Here, there you go. I'll just show it. Here he is. For those, here's the spelling. K-H-R-U-A-N-G-B-I-N. There's a lot of letters that shouldn't be, like hooked on phonics. Like I told you guys, I was, I was raised with hooked on phonics. Phonetically, this is just, I don't know what's silent, what's supposed to be said. So people smarter than me, there you go. That's the band. I gave you the spelling for the listeners. Uh, I will check them out and I'll put them in the timestamp. Thank you for that. So uh, amps, man, I'm going to be so, so boring on this. When I think of like the most versatile small tube amp for home and for gigs, it's a Fender amp, of course, right? Just go with that. You know, you're talking about prog rock. Why not? You could do prog rock with pedals into a Fender amp. I mean, that's a really, really easy way to go. It's boring, but you know, I trust it. Dude, a Hot Rod Deluxe uh, would be great. You could do a 65 Deluxe Reverb, a Supersonic 22. It's definitely, Supersonic 22, I just talked about, would have, uh, get you prog rock sounds. You could get the gain out of that amp too and the clean. It'd be really cool. Plus, it takes pedals really well. Um, I know boring suggestions. I mean, here's where it gets t tough about these questions, these specific kind of questions. I could just go on and listing amps for hours. You know, there's all kinds of, of amps, but I tend to want to list the amps that either I've used, currently used, or I have a lot of faith in, uh, that uh you, you know and if you don't want to do it on the cheap man you can get yourself some usa old usa fender classic amps and all kinds of usa fender uh, pv pv classic series amps all kinds of used usa made pv amps from back in the day are still great all kinds of cool stuff like that so so uh derek just did a super chat says hey here's five scottish pounds towards the guitar buy that's good thank you i don't know where the uh the trade goes. I don't know if I'm up or down. I don't know how that works. It's, it's probably more, probably more than the dollar. Vim69, thank you for this. He did for the super, for the fund, for the fund. YHW? No, YWH? Oh, just became a channel member too. Thank you for the super chat. He says, hey, Phil, I'm going to Japan for my wedding. Uh, congratulations. Tomorrow? He's going tomorrow? You're going to, <laughs> I'm glad you're watching the show. Prepara preparing correctly for a long travel and a wedding. Good job. Uh, CAD, I'm pretty sure that's Canadian. So you're going to, from Canada to Japan. That's a long flight. 
Uh, and I'm glad you're hanging out with us. So we got to get to his question uh, tomorrow. I want to purchase. Oh, want and wait tomorrow. And I want to purchase a made in Japan guitar. Any recommendations on brands and model? You know what I would do if I was going to get married and go to Japan tomorrow <laughs> and buy a guitar? I would buy a guitar that's made in Japan. That's a made, that's a predominant brand uh, in Japan, like Edwards, right? I don't know if you know, like Edwards is like, uh, it's, it's ESP guitars, but it's pretty much only in Japan. A brand like that, Tokai, get a Tokai. Um, I would, if I was going to Japan and I was going to buy a guitar, I would either look for vintage American stuff because there's tons of it, stuff you can't find here, okay? But I think you're talking about you're going to have a wedding, you're going to buy a memorable guitar, buy a guitar that's, you know, and obviously I think you're getting it, right? Buy a guitar made in Japan, but buy a made in Japan guitar that's something you can't get here, right? That's what I would do. And I, I know you can get everything here through the internet, but you're not going to walk into a store and see a brand new Edwards, uh, maybe a used one floating around. You're not going to see... Um, a, uh, uh, and by the way, uh, if you don't know, uh, Edwards, the brand, one of my favorite, one of my favorite bands in the eighties is loudness. And, uh, and, uh, he, the guitar player plays Edwards, which is great. And, um, so anyways, uh, I'm trying to think of other brands, Tokai Edwards. I mean, sure. sure Tell you guys, Aria Pro has a cool ja uh, Japanese line there. Some of the Ibanez stuff is really cool right there. Um, you can get some of the certain, uh, Ibanez models that you can't get. You could get certain Fender Bay Japan models there. You know, I would just not just get something made in Japan, but somebody says, how about Vola made in Japan guitars? Does Vola have made in Japan? I thought they were. Oh, yeah, yeah. All the Volas are made in Japan. I don't know if I would get. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe Vola made in Japan. The problem is, is that it kind of goes against what I just said. The Volas. So you guys know a little funny fact about Vola guitars. So Vola is a brand like, right, it's a brand. Somebody's branding guitar you know, right? They're, they're having them built and have their brand put on. And the main Japan Volas, to me, I associate with, so I'm just giving you my logic. I associate them to America because they're pretty much here. Like, I don't even know if you could get a Vola main Japan. I happen to know the, the shop that Ghost builds uh, the Vola USA guitars, and those are pretty much shipped straight to Japan. So in Japan, believe it or not, they want to sell USA Volas to the, to the Japanese market. And then they sell made in Japan Volas to the USA market. And that's because in Japan, they do like Japanese guitars, but they really like American guitars. So they'll make Vola made in USA and ship that to Japan. So when I think of a, a Vola, as a, that's why I'm just telling you guys, it's not the quality, nothing wrong with the quality. I reviewed them, they were great. Not the looks, I love Volas, the looks. But I think if I was in Japan, Vola wouldn't be a brand I would get because I, I don't associate it, even though it's made in Japan, to a Japanese market, I associate it to the US market. And you can definitely pretty much get anything um, somebody says FGN, same thing. You get FGN. That's another brand that I associate to mostly being in Japan. ESP, of course, you know, and like I said, anything that you can find that's just in Japan, that's made in Japan would be cooler to bring back than, you know, than just a, something that's just made in Japan that you can get here. Right. That would. Bird Rock says, I saw loudness play Houston back in the late eighties. I saw, I have a funny loudness story. I saw them when they came uh, back to the U.S. This is, I want to say 2000, I don't know, 16 or 17, please. You know, it's all, you know, a long time ago. Um, they came back to the United States for the first time in, since the 80s. So if you saw them in the 80s, you probably saw an opening for Motley Crue, Bird, Bird Rockin'. And that was the last time they played the U.S. 
and they came back and played. And I remember, if you guys want to know the year, it's the year the tsunami hit Japan. So whatever year that was, if you look, if you Google that, that'll that'll tell you the year they were here. So this is why the story is funny. So I went with a couple of my friends. I was super excited, right? Like, you know, hadn't seen Loudness. You know, obviously you're not going to see them since they were here in the '80s with Motley Crue, and they were here to raise money for tsunami relief. So I saw them in in Phoenix. We went and saw them. They came out first, of course, amazing, super talented, had their stuff together, but there was something off, right? Like I couldn't, and I remember leaning over my friend and saying, dude, there's something off. And he's like, I don't know, they sound great. And I go, no, not with the way they sound, but there's something off. So uh, I believe Ralph was with me. I can't remember if he was there too. And so anyways, we were all talking. There was a couple of us. And I kept saying, like a little while later goes by and I go, man, there's something, something's off. It's like the they, I can't figure out what it is, but there's nothing, there's something wrong here, right? And uh, so then we're walking around and believe it or not, we bump into uh, their manager, right? So we bump in their manager because it's a small club and we're talking to the manager and we're just hanging out, right? Talking, okay, obviously. And I said, how's the tour going? How's it, you know, he's like, ah, well, you know, the first night was yesterday in California and I, in LA, and I was like, oh, cool, how'd it go? And he goes, well, the show went good, but then they got mugged on the tour bus right after the show. Somebody came out on the tour bus with a gun and stole their luggage and some drum cymbals and I think a guitar, I don't remember if it was a guitar, and a bunch of things. And he goes, so we had to take them to the mall and buy them all new clothes. And then it hit me like a ton of bricks. I go, oh my God, I know what it is. They were all like wearing like guests in Abercrombie and Fitch. They were all wearing like, like they look like they just came, like it looked like one of those 80s montages where everybody went to the mall and came out with new outfits, right? And I'm like, cause it's a rock band. And all of a sudden I'm looking, I'm going, yeah, they're all wearing brand new mall clothes, <laughs> which is a weird look for an 80s band, right? And I was like, okay, now it makes sense. And then my, my buddies are laughing. They're like, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't think about it, but you're right. Now you see it, you're like, yeah, they're all dressed like they just went and bought all their clothes at the mall. And I'm like, yep. So, uh, but the, in, the important thing is um, they were amazing. The other important sad thing is I said, it's probably the last time they're ever going to come back considering their first show, they got mugged. And I don't think they've been back since. So Brian says, boy band, a little boy band. It was a little, it was a little like, <laughs> it was a little K-pop. You know, at the time, I didn't probably know what K-pop was, but I guess now I would say it was loudness that looked like K-pop. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> I'm not old vintage. Did, did them all not have Hot Topic? I don't know. I didn't go, I don't know. I didn't go shopping with them, but I'm just telling you that's, the, you know, it had the look, right? It was all new clothes, but it was definitely like mall clothes. I don't know how to explain that, right? You know, I think everybody knows what that means. So there you go. There's my loudness story. Um, I have, what's another one? Here's another question. Paste there. Uh, the next question is from, it just says G. The name's G? Is that the name? That can't be right. It's Delta Tech. Sorry, Delta Tech. I don't know why it says G for your name when I screen grab it. It says, any news on Dean Guitars? I hope they fix the mess. Okay, so Dean Guitars is uh, was in the news this week. And uh, why, you say? Why were they in the news this week? Because, uh, you know, Dean Guitars, if there's one thing you can trust is if they're in the news, like Gibson, it's not good. <laughs> it's never going to be good. So what uh, what's going on with Dean? Well, Dean is uh, being sued. And uh, they're being, and this is the important part. Dean isn't being sued. There is no business uh, named Dean. So, you know, Dean is a brand like Ibanez. 
So if you're not aware, there are certain brands that are just the brand and not the not the company. Okay. So for instance, uh, Dean and Ibanez are brands that are obviously connected to guitars, but a parent company owns them as a brand, right? So there isn't a Dean brand or Dean company anymore. It's just Dean the brand. And there's a drum company as well. And I don't know why I can't think of it. Some drum person's going to tell me where I have one drum drum viewer with the one drum viewer. Can you tell me what Armadillo it's Armadillo and there's another company and they own these brands. Okay. So what's going on? Well, uh, if there are all their problems, uh, if you haven't been following the mess that is Dean, not only did they lose the lawsuit with Gibson, so they lost their V and their other weird shaped guitar. Not only did they get sued, or I think they're still currently in some kind of lawsuit or problems with the estate of Dimebag Daryl. And of course the old CEO uh, uh, that was running, oh, D-Drum, thank you guys. So D-Drum is also not a company, it's a brand. So there's D-Drum, the brand, and Dean, the brand. Um, so obviously being sued by the estate of Dimebag Daryl is not a good uh, good optics. And the fact that the basically the CEO, ex-CEO, uh, said horrible things in my opinion, which was like, you know, Dean didn't make our time bag doesn't really do anything for us anymore. I'm paraphrasing and we don't really owe him anything. <laughs> Basically I'm paraphrasing, but that's, a, that's what the gist of it was. But then later that CEO was fired by his mother, who was, I think the president of Armadillo. And again, I'm doing this all by memory um, because that her son uh, uh, allegedly uh, embezzled like $400,000, which obviously is is not good. Uh, half a million dollars is not a good amount of money to take. So, um, so Dean's had some issues to say the least, and those issues are compounded now by essentially some banks now saying that they want their payment and they're demanding essentially the equipment, the building, um, which I don't know if they own the building, it doesn't matter, but they want the building, they want the equipment, and they want all the product, okay? Uh, so yeah, Brian says his mother, yeah, dude, come on. I, I we talked about it briefly on this show and I didn't really, I kind of glossed over it. Cause I just, I think I remember saying something like, yeah, I just I can't get my head around, you know, the, the shame of, you know, a mother having to fire her son for embezzling from her, you know, it's just, it's depressing. And at the time, allegedly, I say allegedly embezzling, I should point it out. Allegedly. If I didn't say allegedly earlier, I meant it when I was allegedly, all this is allegedly who knows what, right? So what's going on with Dean now? Well, obviously Dean, not Dean, but the parent company, the company that owns the brand Dean and, and a D drum, um, uh, essentially want money. They want money and there is no money. And cause they're obviously past due, they're past due, I think on the, on the mortgage or the rent of the building and the, none of this is important. I'm just trying to get you up to speed a little bit, but here's what's really important. The question that was asked by, uh, was any news on Dean guitars, but, uh, I hope they fix this mess. The question is what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. Um, unless a miracle happens, which wouldn't, uh, cause it doesn't make any business sense. Um, Dean, the brand is going to be sold off all these assets. Dean, the brand is an asset. The equipment's an asset and the, uh, inventory is an asset. It's all going to be sold off to basically pay the creditors. Okay. 
Um, I think that's what they're pretty much demanding at this point is like, hey, we want our money. We want these assets sold. So that's what's going to happen. The creditors are basically, I think they're requesting some kind of sale, right? Something like that. So the important part is, uh, you know, who's going to buy Dean and would they buy Dean? And the answer is yes, somebody's going to buy Dean. Um, you know, if I, don't, I don't know if you remember, but remember BC Rich was put up for sale and a lot of people questioned if that had any value. And then Baltan Zoltar, Zoltar Baltan. I love Five Finger Death Punch, but I have trouble with the weird names. Um, the Zol man, how do I say his name? <laughs> Zoltar, dude, uh, they're never gonna let me come backstage ever. <laughs> you know what it is? I'm just getting tongue tied on it. Let's see. I okay, hold on. Anyways. What's sad is you guys are probably giving me the answer right now. Uh, oh, Zoltan Bathory. Okay, see, I I had I just knew it was like a lot of letters and different. Okay, Zoltan Bathory, um, he he was the one. He's I think he's not the sole owner, but he's one of the owners of Beast Rich Guitars. So he's essentially the one that bought Beast Rich. Um, the reason I tell you that story is that's a perfect example. Okay, of. You know, he's a well-off rock star. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of Five Finger Death Punch. Apparently, not enough to remember the, his name correctly off the first shot, but you get the idea. Um, but who could buy Dean? Uh, sure. Could a rock star buy Dean? Sure, of course. They have that kind of money. And buying a brand? Dave Mustaine could buy Dean. Uh, Woody? I don't know. <laughs> right? Um, I, a ton of... I'm trying to think of, uh, you know... Uh, you know, I don't know who has money. I don't know if Kerry King has that kind of money. But if they have the kind of money, they could buy the brand. And your question probably is why? Well, a brand is very powerful. In today's day and age, um, you know, I, I once talked about the fact that uh, Fender and Gibson and a lot of the big brands, they keep reissuing, uh, like a perfect example, Fender called the new... Um, the Tone Master series, right? They started calling the new digital amps, the the super, the 65 Deluxe and the... Uh, the um, uh, the Princeton, they were calling the Tone Master Series. And the reason is, is because, I, I don't know the actual reason for sure. I'm just going to give you my theory. My theory is, is that a lot of these companies are pulling up their old names because they know people search for those products. So somebody's looking at old Tone Master amps. And now a Tone Master amp back in the past, if you search one on the internet and buy one, that's used. Fender doesn't get anything for that. So Fender and a lot of companies like Gibson, what they're trying to do is they try to, they take their old intellectual property names and they repackage them into new products. And the reason is, is because when you search the old products, you'll get the new product. That's my theory, because I keep seeing it happening over and over and over again. Another reason they also do that, so you know, is because if they own that name, it's a lot cheaper than having to run a new name through legal and get it trademarked and make sure it's fine. You know, they already know they can use that name. So there is a reason why they rehash old names like that in a non-nefarious kind of way. But the point of this is, is that you're probably like a lot of you that probably don't like Dean or play Dean guitars are like, why would anybody buy it? Well, first, if you're not a fan of it, then you don't understand anyways. That'd be like, pick your brand that you like and imagine it's going out of business and somebody would buy the brand. You'd be like, you know, if you're into, uh, you know, if you're into heritage guitars or if you're into, you know, um, you know, uh, reverend guitars, you would say, oh, you know, then you would be like, oh yeah, absolutely. Who wouldn't want to buy this? So p fans of Dean are probably like, of course, somebody wants to buy the Dean brand. Um, so don't don't think of it just because you're not into it as it has no value. It does have value, but more importantly, it has value because in a world where it's hard to get through this giant white noise of mess in the internet, a brand does poke through. It does help. 
It's a big deal. Um, to give you an uh, to give you a full understanding of it is just look at the tactic that YouTubers and those stupid YouTubers, look at the tactic that YouTubers use to make videos. I've said this before. I hate telling you guys this because I'm giving away some of my secret sauce. It happens, but it's not my secret sauce. It's YouTuber secret sauce. Um, if I do a video on an Epiphone, a guitar that's searched hundreds of thousands, if not millions of times a day on the platform, then the video is Epiphone, <laughs> right? I check out an Epiphone, <laughs> right? If I am sent a guitar called, you know, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a fake name right now. Uh, I'm looking around the room for a fake name. I'm like, uh, how about, uh, I don't know, Guitar Guitar. <laughs> no, it's a horrible name. See, this is why I shouldn't name names. Um, if I'm doing a video on a brand name called um, Su Super Superfly Guitar, okay? Um, Titling the video Superfly is horrible because no one is looking for the brand. No one. They don't even know it exists. So no one is searching for it. So the only people that are going to click on it who are people who are interested in maybe what I want to talk about or my channel. And I don't care how many subscribers you have. There is a percentage of those subscribers that are just interested in you. So I would say on my channel, maybe 5%. So 5% of the total, total subscription base is interested in what I might do this week. And the rest are only interested in the subject matter of what I do. In other words, if I'm not talking about what they care about, they don't care to watch me this week. That's all YouTubers. It's not different than anybody else. So the title might be, you won't believe what this guitar did to my dog, <laughs> right? And then you'd be like, what did that guitar do to his dog? And he's like, it made my dog happy and wag his tail, whatever. And then you're like, oh, I hate this guy. But the point is you clicked on it and that's the, the name of the game is you got to get somebody interested in a topic that they might be interested in, but they might not necessarily either search for because they don't know to search for it or click on it because they don't, they don't find interesting. They don't find it interesting yet. So why would somebody want a brand name? I just explained it to you. Obviously the brand name is clickable, which means how many people are searching Dean guitars on Google? How does that sort to the top versus what did I call it? <laughs> Soulfly guitars. No one's looking at Soulfly cool guitars, you know, right? So yes, the brand has value. All brands pretty much that have been established have value. Um, it has heritage too, by the way. It means it has intellectual properties. Um, it wouldn't just be probably the brand. I would imagine if they got the brand, they would ins and, and, and get some of the, any trademarking, obviously besides Dean's trademark, but any kind of maybe patents or anything that the is licensed under the brand, I would assume that would come with it. I'm not sure, 100%. I'm just guessing. <laughs> Joe says, my dog doesn't like guitars. Um, so, uh, yeah, so the question is, what will happen to Dean? Dean's going to get bought. Now, the qu the real question, the qu the, so the, I have no question about that. I, if anyone wants to argue that, I'm sure we can argue, but I'm pretty sure I'm so right that it's going to be tough to to argue against the fact that Dean will get sold. I can prove that Dean can get sold because right now there's 1,063, 1,055 of you. Apparently somebody doesn't like what I said just now. Uh, there's 1,050 of you. It's dropping fast. 1,050 of you. If I told you all right now that if you, if you, if you all give $1, all 1,050 of you and me will own Dean Guitars, I would be shocked that anyone that had a dollar wouldn't buy the company for $1,000 all chipped in. So... Dean's worth a dollar. <laughs> no, that's not the 
takeaway. The takeaway is it's worth something. Now it's the discussion is what is it worth? I don't know what it's worth. Um, that will have to be decided by the people who have the money to buy it. What I can tell you is, is um, I remember when BC Rich went for sale, we were guesstimating what we thought it would sell for and it ended up selling for twice as much as we thought it would sell for. So, and it happens. Remember uh, when, uh, when um, Saldano Amps sold to Boutique, it sold for half of what I thought it was worth. So, I mean, you never know with companies. It's just, it's just tough. But so the future of Dean is pretty simple. Somebody's going to buy it. And then the question will be then, whoever buys it, what do they do with it? Do they continue on its legacy of making those kind of guitars? Do they slap it on a box and stick it on a crappy guitar that goes in the end of the aisle at a supermarket? Do they turn it into a small high-end made in USA thing again? Right? The Cadillac is one of my favorite looking guitars. I like the guitar. It's like a Les Paul with a horn, right? You can understand a lot of people, you know, um, Kiss, a lot of people, when they think of Dean, it's not just, you know, Dean, um, you know, just the average Dean guitar. There's some iconic Dean guitars in there. I think Dean, and I, I associated Dean to BC Rich a little bit because not because they were pointing guitars for a while, but Dean and BC Rich to me both made in their many iterations of their company, because I think they've both been owned by a couple of different companies over and over again did some of the same mistakes, which is they became the uh, poster child for cheap guitars at a guitar center or a store where you just bought a, you know, Dean pack or a BC Rich pack. And although, you know, Fender can make Squire packs and get away with that, Epiphone can make really inexpensive Squire packs and get away with that and still have a brand name. I think a lot of brands like those, they made, they made a huge mistake because um, you what you don't realize is a 15-year-old goes into a store and they buy a Dean pack or a BC Rich pack and... Their next guitar, the last thing they want is that because that's their beginner stuff. And then a couple years later when somebody goes, oh, here's a $1,000 Dean, they're like, oh, that stuff's junk because that's just how they were branded into the brand. So anyone else have any thoughts on that? Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> uh, yes. Poo Ninja says, we'll have too many owners em embezzling, splitting a thousand ways. It'd be fun. That'd be a fun, that would be a fun, uh, <laughs> that'd be a fun experiment. 1,000 owners. Okay. Um, I don't know. Hold on a second. Gibson would disappear, Dean. You know, um, Nella, great comment because that is a potential problem that can happen. So, you know, it's not likely in this instance to happen because usually, and here's what I mean by that. It is common, it happens, that a company or another brand um, will buy a brand and shelf it. Um, we currently know tons of brands that are currently shelved. SWR Amps, if you're a bass player, is a current shelved brand. Tacoma uh, Instruments are is a current shelved brand. Sun Amps with two ends was a shelf brand. Fender has now brought it back. In other words, it sat, you know, we call it shelved because they're not using it. They're not doing anything with it. They own it. They own the brand, the trademarks. And if there's any intellectual properties like patents or stuff, if, they, if that still applies, they'll own that, but they don't use it. Usually, in my experience in this industry, if a brand gets shelved, it's because it was acquired as a group, as a buy-in, right? Like they bought a couple products, right? Maybe they, they bought a company that owned a couple brands and then they don't want these brands and they shelve them. And I know what you're asking yourself, well, why would they shelve a brand? There's two reasons why. 
Um, one, because it wasn't what they were after, so it's not worth investing in, right? So maybe they were after a bigger uh, brand, right? Um, I believe Sun Amps, I could be, I, I, I'm doing off memory. I believe Sun Amps was acquired by Fender when they acquired Guild. I thought Guild, DeArmond, and Sun all came as a package deal. I could be off on that. Um, just like when they bought Jackson and Charvel, it was a package deal. They got both those brands. So if that, if I'm correct, then that's probably why after they did sun for a few years and you know in the base market and then it didn't take off in any particular different way then they shelved it but another reason why like a perfect example is why i it was explained to me why swr was shelved was they had bought swr fender was making swr and then they acquired another company that owned a bunch of brands and one of those brands was uh jensgens uh and then jensgens which is jeff gensler's company um they had that high end it's a high end base brand they had both at some point, and then they um, sold off Jensgens, <laughs> and they shelved SWR. And I think they sold off Jeff Jensgens because I think it came with a as a package deal they sent to somebody else. But the uh, SWR was shelved because one, it wasn't producing anything for them, no, in order you know, noticeably that it matters. But it doesn't make sense to sell it for the price it's worth because whoever buys it will now compete with you with products. Huh? See, so that's one of the things you have to think about. Is like uh, I'm giving you a scenario. I don't know if this is a scenario, but let me let me tell you this. What if you sold the brand for a hundred thousand dollars, right? So you make a hundred thousand dollars. Okay, yeah, that sounds good. But then if that company starts making product and selling against you, you could lose over $100,000 in sales to that company over a period of years. And if that period of years ends up being $200,000, then it doesn't make sense to sell it. It makes, it make, it makes sense that for it not to exist, then exist against you. So that's uh, why. So the question, uh, Nellie's uh, statement that gives a goodbye, Dean and shelve it, they could, they could absolutely do that. They got the money, they got the power to do it. Would they? I don't think they find them that scary. I don't think they'd want, I don't think they think the market is that intense that they would need to get rid of it because it would really be competing against Epiphone mostly. Um, but, you know, these are all just guesses. But um, somebody could buy it if they thought it was a, you know, if it was a right price. I mean, like we talked about, if it's cheap enough, somebody could, that's a, that is a, it's a, it's a theory, but it's a, it's a sound theory. Somebody could buy Dean if the price is right, a competitor, just to have it not be against them anymore if that's something they worried about i don't really see that as the case um but yeah it's possible it's possible um because i i think it wouldn't make sense why somebody would want dean obviously not only is it a great search it's a it's a brand name but also remember it has stores it has it has clients it has customers it's built-in sales right there a lot of those stores have been selling the brand for a long time and it's it's a lot easier to stay with a brand that you're you're already working with <laughs> Kevin says, I'm glad I bought stock in Moon Pie guitars. I got on the ground floor with Phil. Moon Pie is the best guitars. You know, that, Kevin, if I ever start a company called Moon Pie, Moon Pie Guitars, you are now officially a 10% owner in it. <laughs> and vice versa. If you start it, I want 10% of whatever you, because Moon Pie Guitars should be a thing. Okay. What else? Is it time to talk about? No, it's on the hour. I'm waiting for the hour mark. Okay, uh, next question or subject. Jay Marble, thank you for the new guitar fund. Man, I just, what this is great. <laughs> you guys, I bought a guitar and you're like, oh, here's some money. I'm like, cool. This is, you guys are the best. This is awesome. Um, I'm glad I didn't say, I'm buying some liquor. You guys, the liquor fund, we got out of control. Uh, Enrico says, Gibson came out with a bunch of new underwound pickups this week. Oh, cool. Uh, would a treble bleed 
and a lower and lowering your volume knob accomplish the same thing or does changing the winding have a bigger impact um that's a great question and uh underwinding a pickup to me is different than lowering your volume so uh this is a conversation that i love and i'm always apprehensive because man the pickup question i think deep down is actually a crazier and harder uh, debate than tone would, right? People argue all the time, you know, whether a pickup has an effect or not, or how much of an effect it does. And I'm the first one to tell you that most pickups, 90%, nine out of 10 times, what a pickup is doing is something that can be corrected very easily with an EQ pedal or an amplifier or what have you. And so a lot of it is, a lot of it is just marketing jargon and sales, right? They got to sell you a different version, but there are certain things about pickups that they do and that are very important. Um, so underwinding a pickup is and making it essentially a weaker that's more important that's not lower volume by the way that's why this is important to understand if you lower your volume on your on your guitar to your amp let's say you're let's say you strum a chord on a clean channel on an amp and you get a little bit of breakup if you know if you roll the volume back a little bit whether it has a treble bleed or not if you lower it back the breakup will stop however you are effectively changing the sound uh that is getting to the amp right it's uh, um, as we know, that's what the treble bleed is there. And I think that's why you threw the caveat of the treble bleed, because if we roll the volume off, we're going to lose a little of the highs and therefore it's not the same as just a weaker pickup. So that's why he's saying with the treble bleed, I just want to make sure everyone's on the same page of what he's asking. He's saying that a treble bleed, if you install that, what's going to happen is I'm going to roll the volume off a little bit and I'm not going to lose those highs. And therefore, isn't that the same as having a weaker pickup? Um, the, the big bold answer is yes essentially to the person hearing the amplifier, the amplifier now would sound clean and be very clear, right? Like in other words, they wouldn't notice a difference. The thing about pickups though, is they are very important to the player. They're not actually important at all to the end user, the, the person hearing the music. Um, they're important to the player because there's things you're doing with your fingers and you're trying to get them you're trying to get these these things, this thing you're doing to the strings and the and the pick to come out of the amplifier. And pickups can really either accentuate or hinder that. And so underwound pickups, um, to me, they are to me they're like a breath of fresh air. I love kind of underwound pickups a little bit, <laughs> right? I feel like I can hit a little harder and do a little better, uh, play a little more aggressively, and I I feel like I'm not pushing things so hard. So to answer your question, yes, I think a treble bleed and backing the volume off would get you about 99% of there or maybe 95% of there of just getting an underwound pickup. But that's why I said the argument, when people throw the argument at me, and I think it's because I talk about pickups a lot, they want to they argue that argument or pick up people on the internet. They're like, hey, this really doesn't matter. Does this really matter? No, it doesn't. But it does matter a little to some players. And that sounds like a, a stupid answer, but it's actually the right answer. It's like a lot of things. It's not a heavy thing. There's so many things that will have more effect on your sound than underwounding a pickup or, um, you know, it's like when somebody asks me, like underwound pickups is one of those questions that I get asked a lot. And then another one I get asked a lot is like, um, you know, weakening the magnets over, you know, weakening the magnets. Does that change the sound? Yeah, of course it changes again, how the pickups reacting to the string. And it's a little bit of a difference in the, in the tonality of the guitar it can be achieved a ton of different ways, but that's what I do it. So, hold on. I'm sorry. Just reading some comments. 
says 90% of what most pickups do can be adjusted downstream. Bam, truth to power, especially as far as the audience is concerned. Yes, yes, Daryl, that's a perfect way to sum up what I just said and we're agreeing. Um, that's why I tell you guys all the time, pickups, I think matter, but I don't think you should get over. I, I, as you guys know, I have a huge collection of pickups. I've dissected so many pickups. Um, cause I've like anything, you know, um, I was, I'm really into this. I'm really into guitar. <laughs> Let's start there. Really into guitar. And then that led through a ton of thousand ways, led me to having this YouTube channel and discussing guitar. And then almost like this compulsion in me, like if I'm going to talk about these things on the internet, I need to be as informed as possible. So then I deep dive even harder into these subject matters, not to be an authority, because I don't think anybody can be an authority thing, but to at least be more versed in what I'm talking about and have a better understanding of it. And I could tell you that a huge percentage of the things I've tested over the years, whether it's guitar pickups or woods or tuning keys or, you know, fret wire, comparisons, you know, taking it to the extreme. What I can tell you is two things, and this is why I'm cautious in the way I say this. I could honestly say the most of it didn't matter. It just didn't matter. At the end of it, it meant nothing. However, I would, I'm apprehensive of saying to you guys, it doesn't matter and don't worry about it because I like who I became testing and doing that journey. Um, as a musician, as a gear aficionado, as a, as a, as a lover of this subject of music and guitar, um, comparing pedals, was it, you know, a waste of my time? Absolutely not. There was, I would never consider anything I've done, all these testing, all this reverse engineering, all these pickup, I've wound now thousands of pickups, you know, and compared them and did all this stuff. Do I, I find all of it was useful, even at the end of it, which really equated to all of it had a very little effect overall. But it does have some effect and it's nice to know. It was fun to know. And I kind of like sharing that with you guys, not because I think you guys should think about it, right? Like I do these videos go like, oh, did you know if you use a weaker battery, it sounds different in your pedal? Because I did that video. <laughs> um, and somebody says, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't, but wasn't it fun to watch me do it? And I wanted to know, and then I hopefully, if you thought about it, but you weren't crazy enough to go through the experimentation process like I was, now you can just watch somebody do it. I don't know, I hope that. Oh, uh, Bass Fox 11 4 says, Phil, have you tried any old Barkus Berry pickups? I did. I went through a Barkus Berry um, <laughs> pickup thing. You know, uh, here's what's funny. The funny thing about pickups is, and the things I've learned is, the lower price of more quirky pickups, they're a little trickier to emulate than just the diehards. The, you know, the, the, the more mainstream pickups. So um, there's something about those pickups that I love. Next subject or question. It could be both. Uh, as Grumpy Mike Guitar says, uh, for the tone jar, why not? Seeing an acoustic on the wall makes me feel happy. Yeah, there was a bunch last week. I think there was three. Is there an acoustic on the wall now? Oh, there is one. There was like three or four last week because I was doing some stuff. Um, it just does. Cheers. Yeah, what did I say last week? Acoustics are for adulting. <laughs> I was playing acoustic yesterday and I couldn't, th I was thinking of that and I said that because I was doing the stuff and I was like, man, this, I was, writing a thing that I loved and I'm like, this is great. Um, <laughs> Chris, Chris, thank you for the super chat. He says, I'll chip into the fun in addition to the beer I promised you. So Chris is the problem. This is a good segue. So uh, on the on the Patreon thing, uh, was it, I had to be Wednesday. 
Chris sends me a message or sends the, 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 the group a message that Kiesel is doing a limited run of guitars. Okay. So I'm going to share this with you guys. And, um, now here's, what's funny about this. Uh, I, I know Kiesel does all kinds of stuff. All kinds of people do runs of guitars. Um, but he posted a picture and when I saw the picture, like I, I was busy. I was like, I look at my phone and I just went, I was like, what? So a couple weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, a couple podcasts ago, uh, somebody asked me the question, what's the guitar that got away? Like, what's the guitar? What's my dream guitar? What's the only guitar I've never really owned? And funny enough, there's only two guitars that I've never really owned that I've always wanted. Okay. And, uh, and this is going to be educational, uh, fun. I hope this is all fun and educational for you guys. So a couple things. The two guitars was the Steve I Universe uh, Swirl guitar. And I explained that I have an RG7620, which is essentially the same guitar, same specs pretty much, same neck, um, same everything. And um, I always wanted it Swirl. In fact, I even told the story about how my Nuno, I had my Nuno in four swirled many years ago. I paid like 600 bucks to have it swirled. And to get that out of my system, because I told you guys the story about how I try to buy a universe a couple times, and it's always been unobtainable by every degree, um, impossible, right? Okay. So I've always wanted the Passion and Warfare Swirl. I've referred to it, we, a lot of us refer to it as the Paw Swirl, Passion and Warfare. If you guys don't know Passion Warfare, it's the Passion Warfare album. So it's a, it's a very important guitar to me, because it's this first, it's this iconic album cover to me. Um, remember I told you guys, I started playing guitar in basically 1989. So I think 1989, 1990, Passion Warfare came out. And I just remember that cover, like just thinking that was the coolest thing ever, hearing that guitar. And it was a seven string and that was so mystical. Like I couldn't even play six. And it's just a guitar that I've never been able to afford. And I still can't afford it. If you can find one in any good shape right now, it's 10 grand. And, and, um, and they did a reissue with a new updated color a few years ago. And same thing. I tried to get one and I couldn't do it. So that was the main guitar. And then the BC Rich Gunslinger Nagel guitar was the other one. So another graphic. Both these, of course, are iconic guitars I saw on MDB. And I talked about this last week. I'm sharing again. Last week, I talked about the fact that I, I couldn't justify $6,500 for this Nagel guitar. And then um, I was sharing this with the patron group that um, Sweetwater has all the Nagels at demo available. See right here, demo available, demo available, demo available, demo available. And when you click on them, um, every single one of them, it's they have some kind of issue with them, right? They're like, well, this one, oh, where's the demo? Did I not click? I didn't click the right thing. I'm sorry. See, you got to click the, you got to click that. I didn't know you had to click the little blue bar. So here is actual pictures. And of course, Sweetwater's like showing like, see, it's got like imperfections. And so I promise this is going somewhere. So I was telling the patrons that, um, Remember I was talking about the fact that a lot of manufacturers, a lot of retailers will start listing things as mint or used or demo if they're trying to blow it out, right? Okay, so hold on a second. See, I should have had all this queued up. I kind of had a feeling we might talk about it today, but you know, I never know at the show if there's gonna be what, what you guys are gonna wanna dial into. Okay, let me go by most recent. Okay, so I was saying that all of these guitars, these high-end BC Riches, they say demo on them, like implying that a customer used it, maybe bought it and returned it, or a customer used it in the store. But all the issues, a lot of them are like finish issues. They're not really damage issues. 
And then I went on, so you know, I'm share this with you. I was sharing this with again with the patrons. If you go on Reverb, there is a nagel here, and same thing. This a bottom strap button is slightly recessed in the body. There are dents in the back plate, and I was explaining that this is gear nuts. And gear nuts, if you don't know, is a uh, is a seller on Reverb, but it's actually Sweetwater. So if you guys don't know, Sweetwater has uh, gear gear nuts. <laughs> this right here. It says Columbia City, Indiana, but it's it's not. It's Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, I think uh, Gear Nuts, like their real address is like it's at it's right down the street from the hotel where they have guest day if you go to Sweetwater. So um, this is very common. Uh, so you guys know. Let me go back here. Um, it's really common for retailers to have this secondary retailer outlet name thing, and they do it on Amazon and Reverb and. Like I've seen a ton of them. I, uh, Guitar Center has one too. Guitar Center Music Friend have like a secondary seller name and they do that too. So um, when I saw it on there, because the, the Nagels were exclusive for the US, they were exclusive Sweetwater thing. I saw it on Reverb. I knew immediately. I'm like, well, that's got to be Sweetwater. And I clicked it and I was like, oh, it's Gear Nuts, which is Gear Nuts is a Sweetwater name. So so now you know that. If you're curious to look about good deals from Sweetwater, <laughs> you can get some good deals. So I was looking at all of these guitars at this price point. And as you guys know, I told you guys I couldn't justify the price. And then when I saw all of them have issues, um, I was like, wow, I'm really glad I didn't buy one of those because that's that's pretty depressing. So then Chris, he sends me this, hey, Kiesel's doing this limited run. That segues into this. And it's the swirl guitars again. They're doing a limited swirl, but they're doing, this is the, so you guys know, this is what I'm pointing at right here with my cursor. This is, we would call, a lot of us would call the paw, like a dog paw, Swirl, which is a passion warfare swirl, right? Limited edition swirls. Um, paw meaning that it has, it's like the Steve I swirl, right? It's this one's I like because it's a black base. It's got the um, uh, green and pink. So build yours now. Let me share. Let's see if it's in my memory settings. It's not. I was goofing off. So let me, let me do this. I build a lot of guitars on, uh, if you're like me, I spent a lot of time on Kiesel's website dreaming up like, maybe I want a guitar like this. Maybe I want a guitar like that. So I did buy a Kiesel, okay? I, I uh, ordered it today. Let me show you what I did. And in fun, I'm going to actually rebuild it right now. So you get to see. So I picked, um, you had to pick a bolt-on. So I picked the Aries because I really like my Aries too. I, I did a right-handed six string. I didn't do multi-scale. I did 25 and a half inch uh, thing. I did a gig bag. I did, I deleted the bevel because I didn't want, I wanted to look old school. I did the body wood in mahogany so that it would probably be lighter than alder. So, you know, um, and then I did the swirl colors. It says I have to get that thing. That's fine. I picked this. Hope you guys are enjoying this. I'm sharing what I did. Logo, I did the Kiesel um, white logo with the black outline. I didn't do any additional options. Next options, I did neck wood. I did one piece maple, which was included. I did 22 frets, because that's how my Delos is and I like it. Fingerboard wood, I did rosewood. Fretboard radius, I did 12 inch radius, because I like that. Inlay material, I did green, because hey, let's go. Inlay shape, I did the diamonds. They do the diamonds like BC Rich, which I love frets i did stainless jumbo frets because i have medium jumbos on my other guitar and i wanted a thing uh uh you know just bigger frets this is the headstock shape i figured let's go hey because i wanted a gunslinger right this is like the perfect world i did reverse headstock 
kind of like the BC Rich kind of gunslinger logo, right? You could, you see where I'm going at this, right? I'm building myself the perfect gunslinger slash passion warfare guitar. I was very excited about this. Um, headstock overlay, done. Headstock finish. I paid the extra 150 bucks for the swirl finish to match. Truss rod cover, I kept that normal. I didn't do scallop fretboard. I wish I did. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, two humbuckers. Pickup model. I did the lithium for the neck. This is how I do my Delos. And the beryllium for the, uh, sorry, beryllium for the neck and lithium for the bridge. Pickup color. Come on, guys. You, you know. You know it's going to be green. <laughs> uh, pole pieces black. I had to pay the extra 20 bucks for that. Um, actually, I don't think I paid that. That I don't think I had to pay that. Um, controls. Okay. I left that alone. Additional options. Didn't care. Hardware. Bridge. I went with the Godo. No, I went with the hip shot. The hip shot tremolo. The reason is, is I love the Godo. It's what's on my Delos. I love it. But when they sent that Aries A2, which is behind me right there, they put that hip shot bridge on there and I really liked it. It was, to me, it felt more like the Floyd. And I kind of wanted a Floyd vibe with this, but not the actual Floyd. And then knobs, I went with black plastic because I like plastic knobs because it's easier for me to see. I went with all black hardware. And that's it and there you go that is what i built right there um at less than half than what the gunslinger was for a custom one these are all i guess uh dipped by uh jeff kiesel he's doing these all himself so all these are dipped so and there's you know you don't know what they're going to look like they're all different so chris cost me money chris <laughs> for posting that but uh, I want to share because one, it's just fun to share guitar stuff with you guys. I can't figure out what screen you're in. But I also wanted to tell you, like literally think about that. I, here I am getting asked a couple weeks ago, you know, what was my you know, the guitar I never owned that I wanted. And I was like, oh, it's the Ibanez Universe. And I even said jokingly in that episode that the reason I could never pull the trigger, not besides the crazy expense, was that I believe the RG7620 is the same guitar because it is. It's the same spec, same basswood body, same made in Japan, same neck profile for those years because mine's a 91. Um, um, or mine's a 99, but same neck profile. But could I, I couldn't justify thousands and thousands of dollars for essentially getting a paint job. And then I saw the gunslinger and I was like, oh, that's, uh, you know, hey, I'll get a Nagel. That's like an iconic, cool 80s guitar. And then I was like, $7,000 with tax. I just couldn't do it. As I told you guys, I could not pull that trigger. And then when I saw the defective BC Riches, I was like, well, it's a little bit cheaper. You're right. So it's almost $1,000 off if you get the defective one, a little defect. I'm going to play it. You know, what do I care? But still a lot of money. And then when I saw that, I go, what are the odds? I just basically built a... Actually, a better than a Gunslinger because I wanted 24 frets, which is something I couldn't get with the Gunslinger. I wanted the Tremolo instead of the Floyd, which I couldn't get with the Gunslinger. I wanted a reverse headstock. And I wanted, dude, I didn't even want it, but having the headstock match the body, that was a lot of money though, 150 bucks for the headstock to match. But I would imagine it's a nightmare. If you've seen how they do dips, you should watch a video on YouTube on how they dip like the swirls. Um, essentially they paint the body one color and they put a, a drum of water. Um, they'll probably do it in a big tra uh, tra tray, you know, uh, cause they're doing a lot, but they do a, like a 35 gallon drum of water. They put paint on the top and they dip the guitar into it. And the paint is so thin. It like, it's like saran wrap. It like sticks to the guitar. Um, so to do the headstock's pretty tricky. So, um, yeah, Alan's music is like, you know, I, uh, you know, you could do a homemade swirl. Uh, yeah, you absolutely can. <laughs> yeah. But, um, 
Look, American-made USA guitar with a custom swirl finish, um, limited edition like that, with the exact frets I want, the fretboard I want, the scale length I want, everything I want for half of what Beast Rich is going for and for 30% of what the universe, the Ibanez universe is going for used. And I think the only one I can find now used, there's a Ibanez universe for like 10,000 right now used somewhere online, but it's got some chips in it and some dings. And again, that's just not a price. I'm not going to pay 6,000. I'm not going to pay 10,000. So that's new guitar day for me. So now you get to uh, have fun figuring out what, obviously I have some time, so don't worry. Uh, you, um, I have some time before it's made, <laughs> but something will go. Right. This is my personal collection. This is a personal collection guitar. So, so you, so you know, um, and, uh, obviously for obviously to be always as transparent as I, as I can, obviously I'm friends with the Kiesel guys. I know the Kiesel guys. So I did reach out to them and say, I want this. And, um, I, and I said, I'll probably talk about it on Friday show. They were very amazing as they are with me. They've always been kind to me. Again, I always talk to Brandon at Kiesel and Brandon basically said like, uh, look, we want to help you Phil. We want to hook you up. Um, he said, look, if you just want an Aries, we, we can, we can work something out. We'll hook you up. You know, if it's about the guitar, they said the, the reality is this, it's a limited edition guitar. Um, they only can make so many that pretty much don't need help selling them. Cause the last batch sell out sold out. So they don't really need me to market it. Cause it's going to sell out on its own. And then once it, I get it, you can't buy one anymore. Cause I'll have it, you know, afterwards. So there's not really a lot of marketing need there. Um, so they basically, uh, accommod did some accommodation pricing for me. So I didn't have to pay full price. That's why I said, I mentioned like on the one up charge, I didn't do that. I didn't have to pay that. They, they gave me a better price. Um, and what they did is they basically charged me for the fact that it's a limited edition, you know, and there's certain things that just there's work to be done. So I got a discount. Um, and, and, and like I said, in all fairness, I've, I've done a lot of work for them and I obviously I promote their Oops, I promote their brand any chance I get. As you know, the Copper Delos is one of my favorite guitars. So um, that was really cool of them to do that. But like I said, I did pay for it and I paid a good chunk, <laughs> but it was nice. And they didn't have to give me a discount. In fact, so you know, I didn't even ask for a discount. All I asked for was, can I please get an order in? <laughs> I, was, I just didn't know who, you know, I never had uh, ordered a Kiesel through the actual website. I always done it through, uh, through one of the guys at contact. That's why I sent them an email saying, I just want to buy this thing. And they were really cool. So I, I would want to say one, thank you for doing that. Cause like I said, but also two, win, 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 win. Right. And of course I'll be showing the guitar and, and, and doing that anyways, even though it's not something you guys buy, I'll share it on the channel and stuff, you know, on the live show, just so you can see what it looks like when it's done, but super stoked. I, I just, I just, uh, and I, if you couldn't tell, I've been giddy all show. That never happens. You know what I mean? That never happens that that scenario plays out like that. I was like, I just, I, I think this is better. This is better than owning those guitars because this is something I absolutely want exactly how I want it. It was really cool. I was really ex ex super easy. Um, so there you go. That's my exciting new guitar day. Thank you for indulging me on this. Uh, I know we'll get back to the, the other subjects now. They're really cool. Um, tone strap says, how long do you have to wait? You know, I was so excited. I didn't ask some of you guys might know <laughs> if you can tell me, I'd be great. Um, the, um, uh, one thing that, uh, Kiesel has done for me in the past that will not, I know for a fact is not happening this time. Okay. Is that a lot of times when I've ordered guitars, um, as a, they kind of treat me like an artist. So, you know, that's how they treat the, 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 me, the YouTuber, I'm a YouTuber 
thing. But, uh, and I've said this before, I've sa- I'm saying weird, like saying all weirdly, because I've told you a lot of companies do not consider YouTubers artists. They're like, oh, you're a social media person, which is fine. And then they go, we have artist person, we have a social media person. Uh, 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 Kiesel does not look, uh, Kiesel, the brand, remember, I'm always talking about the brand. I don't talk to Jeff. I talk to the brand. Um, they don't treat me differently than they treat an artist. Like, it's really cool. Like, it's nice. You call them and if you want something, they give you some artist accommodations. And so some of those accommodations could be discounts and some of those are, they speed up the process because obviously if, you know, if it gets in my hands, they might get in front of your eyes and that's good for them. So they do something like that. But it's something like this. There's no way to speed up the process because he's going to be doing all the guitars for everybody. That's why, like I said, they, they had to charge me because it's, it's uh, Jeff Kiesel's doing them, you know, one by one. It's not fair to them to, for me to take up a limited edition guitar when there's, you know, there's no market, there's no trade to be had here. As I've told you guys, I want to put it very clearly. Um, let people say the word free. In my experience on YouTube, very rarely does anyone, I mean, not even 1%, does very rarely does anyone give me anything for free. It's done in exchange for service, which is why I always say product provided and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, you can have this guitar, but it's like, have it? You're like, as long as I do a video and promote for you and show the product to my, to my viewership, yeah. So, that's that's essentially exchange. And in this case, like I said, they didn't have to do anything for me because there's no exchange to be had. They just did it as a courtesy. They gave me a little bit of a, a, a kick. But, oh, nice. I'm super stoked. You can see the grin. My, my face hurts from smiling. <laughs> yes! Oh my God, check this out. Tro- trolls, trolls, I don't know how to say the rest of your name, trolls. I'm going to call you Trolls, Trolls Journey, something. Mick Rocklin, he's talking about Thomas Mick Rocklin. If you don't know him, check out his channel. He's amazing, amazing player. One of the, one of my favorite players on, on YouTube. Uh, he has an Ibanez Paw guitar, Passion Warfare guitar. So um, he's also just got a Kiesel Swirl. Okay, so funny story, Trolls. Um, you probably don't know this. M- Thomas Mick Rocklin doesn't have a Ibanez Universe Swirl. He has the Ibanez Universe Swirl, okay? Um, he has the actual one on that album cover. Um, and here, let's see how nerdy we can get, and then I'll go back to t- things, but I promise this is great. Let's look at the album. If you guys aren't having fun, I apologize, because I am having a blast. <laughs> this is, okay, so this is for, if I can make it big, big enough to, for you guys to see. Why does every time I click on something, it just gets smaller? <laughs> uh, okay, here's one. I'll, I'll go with this. Okay, let's go here, Web. Um, this is the album cover I'm talking about. Now, here's the important part. Do you see this? See where I'm pointing right here? This uh, part here, right here on the guitar? Um, Trolls Jern. I'm sorry if I'm messing up your name, Trolls. Um, on the album cover, the original Ibanez Universe... Told you I'm a big fan of this guitar. Like I'm a huge, it's it's my ultimate dream guitar. Um, for those of you that like to tell me it's good. Some people tell me it looks like vomit. You're right too. <laughs> okay. Um, I have no idea where I'm at. What screen am I trying to get back to? Here we go. Okay. So if you guys don't know this, the actual original Ibanez Universe Swirl Steve I Passion Warfare guitar that's on that cover has a monkey grip like my gym that I'm pointing at right now. That monkey grip. A hole. It has a hole in it. 
this is so long ago. This is before Photoshop. They airbrushed it. That's where they actually had to take the picture and they use somebody as an air, like a Pache airbrush and they airbrush painted over the hole. So when you look at that guitar and that photo with Steve I on the cover, that is the guitar that Thomas McRocklin owns. Even though when you see his, his has a, a monkey grip in it. It's because Steve I gave Thomas McRocklin that guitar. He gave it as a gift. So Thomas McRocklin not only has an Ibanez universe, he has the Ibanez universe from the album cover, but it has the handle in it because they had to air, they airbrushed it. They never said why. Steve I said once in an interview he didn't like the way it looks, so they airbrushed it. My theory has always been, and I'm trying to keep this as PG-13 as possible, is that when you look at this picture right here, I don't know how to make it bigger. Every time I click on it, it just gets smaller. <laughs> Okay, when you look at this picture, if you picture a black, because remember, he's wearing black pants. If you picture a black monkey grip right there, it kind of would look like, you know what? <laughs> so my theory is that they painted this because it looked like, uh, you know, his dingleberry was hanging out. <laughs> That's my theory. I don't know if it's true. I would. I met Steve. I interviewed him, and he, although he was amazing, I didn't have the uh, cojones to ask him that question. Trust me, I thought about it for a second. But um, if you guys ever saw the interview I did with Steve, I if you guys don't realize it because I edited, I edited it, I guess, and you can't really see this. Um, when I <laughs> when I met Steve, I um, he I was I was you know I'm a huge fan, so I was prepping myself for him. And when I walked in the room, he gut punched me because when I walked in the room, he goes. I know you and <laughs> you're on YouTube and he threw me off. And then we had a little conversation about YouTube and the videos he's seen. And then he's like, yeah, I'm a fan. I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. And then, and then my whole interview, everything about me, the thing was shot. I didn't know what to do anymore. So the interview you see is an edited mess of how I fixed that. So there you go. So there you go, trolls. Now you know. Next time, if you're a fan of McRocklin, he does live hangs and stuff, and he's just an amazing player. You can tell him, like, if he did, he's got to have told people that. But it, so you know, if he hasn't, it's absolutely true. Steve I gave him that guitar. He has the original, he has that guitar. So there you go. All right. <laughs> you guys, I knew you guys were to hang up. <laughs> I love all the I love all the ding dong jokes. I feel like this is gone. Oh, thank you guys for keeping it PG thirteen. You know right? We don't know who's watching, so I try to keep things relatively PG thirteen. Um, okay, Brian says, can you see say Dingleberry on YouTube? I have no idea, man. As you know, I cuss sometimes, but I try. I try keep it. I try to keep it family. There you go. Um, by the way, and I, we end all this with thanks, Chris Goodwin, for cause. No, thank you, man. And in fact, so you know, Chris, I don't know why you super chatted me. I owe you a beer. You just saved me a ton of money, and um, and I'm super stoked. I mean, I just can't get get past that. I, and I feel like I've spent too much time talking about myself and my new guitar that I got coming. So um, let me just say this: when my when I, I paid through PayPal, when my PayPal payment went through right before the show started. Um, so you know, that's another thing. Actually, so again, I say I try to be transparent. I'm going to be transparent again. It's important. I also contacted him because I told him, I go, look, I want to talk about it on a Friday show, but I don't want everybody to buy one. And then they do first come, first serve ordering. I'm like, please, please. If, I don't know what's going to happen on a live show. If anyone buys one, I'm just going to be further behind. So I want to make sure I got, got mine in case two or three of you guys buy one too. I don't want to be like fifth down the line or whatever. So there you go. Um, Al, Al says, just say old guy. Just say old guy. Nice sign-on. says, I'm looking at a 2019 Fender Ultra Strat that was refurbished on MIRC. Okay. It's sold by 
It's sold by store with five stars on Reverb. Reverb, any experience with this refurbish? Um, don't do it right now. So you know, they're blowing out the Ultra Strats and Tellys Fender is. Uh, not Fender. The dealers are. So remember, um, Al, um, just call you old. <laughs> uh, Al, just call you old. Um, we had talked about the fact that, yeah, Fender is dumping product. Mostly that stuff is going to be, you know, the Asian import uh, product lines, the more affordable stuff. But the dealers have just chokeholds of uh, Gibson. So, you know, um, right now they're secretly discounting Gibson Les Pauls at guitar centers and stuff. So, you you know, you might be able to get a, a, a Gibson Les Paul for 30, 40% off at, at guitar centers. So, you know, you got to kind of just go in and feel around, ask them. Um, like I said, ask, I tell you guys all this time, I'm trying to help you guys put money in your pocket. You know, you guys work hard for your money. I work hard for my money. You know, this isn't, you know, we're not, none of us are rich, you know, well, maybe a couple of you guys are rich a-holes. I don't know. Good for you. But the rest of us, right? We got, we got stuff to pay, you know, we've got to justify the expense of this stuff. So if you can save some money, especially 30, 40%, that's almost, almost pre-pandemic pricing almost. Um, so you can get some really good deals on Gibson's if you ask around. You can, especially the, the now that new ones are coming out and the dealers got to reload. Definitely can find some dealers ready to give you an ultra uh, Strat Artelli for uh, 20 30% off, right? It's, it's definitely can be doable. Um, there's a ton doing it already and just listing the stuff as mint or used. And if they're not just find a dealer you like, you find is reputable. That way you don't have to worry about this five-star crap. And if they're doing it, just find a dealer you like that you trust and reach out to them. Um, I would definitely reach out to the mom and pop stores more so than the big online stores. You can understand the bigger online stores, especially Sweetwater, they'll, they mass dump. They don't like secretly side, but you know, one at a time dump. And also they tend to cycle their inventory way faster than mom and pops. So the mom and pops, you know, they don't want to sit on this inventory, uh, you know, forever. And especially if they allot more of it, it's not hard to figure out, you know, as, as you guys know, in my store, sometimes I would look at the numbers and go, okay, in the last, 60 days, we've sold X amount of guitars over the price of $2,000. And then based on that, I could project like, okay, based on the season, I'm looking at selling this many more in the next two months or, you know, next quarter. And I have 20 in stock and I only sell five. That means I'm going to be overstocked 15 at this rate. So I might be aggressive. So some stores don't think that hard that way. And some think way better, more better than I did. But in your world, I would definitely... Before I would worry about trying to buy somebody's ultra used stuff, uh, you know, definitely get the see if the new deals are out there. You'll get a brand new one, and if you even if you pay slightly more than used, it's brand new with a warranty and a return policy. Just because they discount it does not waive the return policy. At least it shouldn't. Um, if that's something they say, that's that's on them to do that. But um, you know, I would not. I would. I would. That's what what I would recommend. God, you guys are always so fun. <laughs> uh, um, okay, all right. Uh, uh, Clyde uh, says, hey, Phil, wondering if you have ever played a Mark Bartell era Tone King amp pre-2015 or a Bartell amp, which is, I think is his new amp line, right? Um, he might be the most gifted amp maker in the world. I have not, uh, you know, I, as you know, Tone King amps is not an amp on my uh, radar ever. Um, I, I have a Tone King amp, as you guys know, I have the Imperial sitting right here and in a matching cabinet. Um, that's ironic that I'm talking about the Steve I event, uh, Steve I meeting Steve I and that crazy experience. That's where I got the Tone King amp. 
Um, so I was at an event. A bunch of YouTubers were there. It was Rick Beato. Hey, let's name drop now. Rick Beato, Fluff, <laughs> right? You know, Glenn Ficker, right? I don't know. Did anybody, like everybody was cooler than me. So uh, Rhett Shaw, um, RJ Rinculio, everybody cooler than me. Um, so uh, I was at this event. It was the last thing I really did before COVID. It was in January of 2020. It was right before the NAMM show. I was uh, lucky enough to be asked by uh, Boutique Amps to say, hey, if you come out the week before the NAMM show, um, if you can make it here, we would like to have you have lunch and hang out with us uh, at night and maybe interview some people. So I interviewed like Brian Wampler and Steve I and um, Mike Saldano, just to name a few. And, um, and they said, we'd like you to pick out a Tonking amp, play the, all the Tonking amps, pick one out, and we'll build it for you. And uh, I played all the Tonking amps, and the one I absolutely love was the Imperial, so that's what I did. And I picked a very basic thing. I don't think they were excited about that. I think they thought I was going to pick like a crazy looking one. And then it took them, because of COVID, it took them three years? It's definitely two years. Two years to ship it. Because, you know, I mean, they had a fire, they had COVID. But yeah, I got it. And, um, so that's how I have it, and that's why I like it. It's cool. So I have I have no no experience with any others. I just like the one I have. Totally recommend it. Here's the th here's the good and the bad of the Tone King Imperial. If you are a Tone King Imperial fan, um, I absolutely love it. It's a great amp. Um, I got nothing bad to say about it, and uh, and I think my review is one of my favorite videos on it, which is something I would never say. But it's because I really kind of like came at it differently than some other players have came at it because I really was excited about it. Um, but also, I will tell you that what it does that I love is why I also think that the uh, 65 Deluxe Reverb Tone Master amp is what it does. So, like, I gotta say the weirdest thing ever. I, I once called the uh, the Engel Fireball 25 like the poor man's or poor woman's uh, Saldano, right? SLO 30. I'm gonna call the uh, the 65 Deluxe Reverb Tone Master amp the poor person's. Uh, Imperial, it does it does what I love. Uh, the Imperial does that attenuation and the, to get the gain, distort, little distortion, and have the clean tone, and does all those things. It's all on the bright side. That's what the sixty five does. So, um, so basically, I say that if you love the sixty five Deluxe Reverb Tone Master, if you love it, then I think you'll like the tone, uh, the Tone King Imperial a little bit more. And if you don't like that amp, then you probably won't like the Tone King Imperial at all. So be, be there. Yeah, Brian says I clearly need to hit the lottery. Yeah, well, it, it's expensive stuff, man. This stuff is crazy. It's crazy stuff. Um, but as I told you guys, it's not all about money. You know, remember, it's about trade. It's about, you know, you know, there's ways to work up a collection of, of amps and guitars if that's something you're interested in. You know, I had a, a, a collection of stuff before I had a store, before I had a YouTube channel, and I did it exactly that way. It was like the trade up, trade up, trade up. You just trade up. You buy and trade up. That's how it works. If that's something you care about. Uh, for the rest of you that are smart enough, just find something you like and stick with that if you're smart enough to do that. And then watch YouTube videos. So I've told you guys this before. I watch all kinds of YouTube videos about... I watch reviews of all kinds of things. I, I watch toy reviews. I watch Lego toy reviews. I watch all kinds of review videos and stuff because I'm curious about that stuff and I'm interested in it, but I don't want to buy it. <laughs> so I, I don't I don't really care. Like to me, I can watch a ton of guitar review videos and that's actually, I find that entertaining. And yeah, sometimes... it gets the itch to buy something and it happens, but it's less likely, more likely I'm actually talking myself out of stuff. I, like I said, I hope in my videos talk you out of stuff as much as they talk you into stuff because that's why I try to be as pragmatic about it as possible. Okay. 
Um, all right. Then we're done. I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, Travis. <laughs> Travis, this is I'm seeing. I'm seeing uh, Manchera 2 guitars on Reverb, but they aren't on Fender site. Do you have any info on that guitar range? I don't. Um, you know, I, I don't. Sadly, I, I don't, but I know some of you guys might. Like I said, I have information. You guys have information too. So if you have something that you can share with Cur Curtis, sorry, Travis, uh, share with him. Uh, but, huh. Um, but it also could be, you know, there's, it's weird. What, what basically you're asking is you're saying that you're seeing them on, on, in the wild, but not seeing them on Fender site. That's not usually the case because Fender usually leaves product on their website, even after it's been discontinued for a short time. So it might be just they, they have this product. You understand there's a lot of product that's been out and it's probably sitting in stores for a couple of years or it's used in, like you said, you're looking at used stuff and it's just out of, it's been out of production and that's probably why it's not on their site. That could be happening. Curtis C says, have you ever, I think it's DS. Oh, dissected. I'm like, why am I having, okay, one more time. Have you ever dis dissected a Lawler, Lawler El Rayo pickup? I have not. Um, I am not usually taking apart the expensive pickups, um, because I really don't need to usually when you, you know, usually when I'm reverse engineering a pickup, um, I'm not trying to clone it. I'm trying to understand why it's different than something else. That's just, again, I'm just, I'm looking for the knowledge of it. Um, I did a video once that's funny that, um, I wish I would have thought ahead of time. I didn't think, um, I cut open and took apart a lipstick pickup. And then I didn't do a video. I should have done the video where I basically, I took it apart to learn what it is. It had captain tape in it. At that time, I had no idea what that was. Like it's, it's not like I had a, you know, I had an electrical engineering degree and I, you know, I've did stuff with captain tape. That's not something that's you relatively see in, in the guitar industry, right? You know, which is where my, most of my knowledge is based, you know, especially when repair, right? It's in, based in hands and guitars, not hands and amps, hands and, you know, computers and stuff. So I, I'd never seen Captain Tape before. And um, so I was like, ah, oh, what is this? And the people in the comments are like, it's Captain Tape. You probably called me an idiot too. You idiot. And I'm like, ah, oh, whatever. But here's the important part. I knew that it was, well, I didn't know. I was curious why a lipstick pickup was different. I cut one open, but so you know, for the video, I cut it open, I dissected it, and then I rewound it and made a new one. And I still have that pickup to this day. It's in my loaded cartridge for my Somnium guitar. So I can still play those pickups. Those are the, uh, so if you ever see me to show any pickups after that of lipstick pickups, I've only owned three. It's the same three. I've taken them all three apart and put them all back together and rewound them and stuff just because I wanted to learn about them. So that's why I did that. It's not because I wanted to clone them. I just want to learn about them. So like expensive pickups, I don't really take apart because I'm not trying to clone them. Usually, ex you got to understand, I've told you guys this for years uh, in the past about uh, small builders and why their pickups generally will sound better. They will generally sound better because the things that you can do to a pickup to make it not as good is gotta be done on mass scale. What I mean by that is I did a video, I did some short videos and I showed that a uh, imported Korean, it was made in Korea. I only say that because a lot of people are like, Chinese pickups, I never said that. I said imported, so I guess imported means China, but it, it was Korea. It was an imported Korean pickup and it was an Alnico 2 bar magnet and I pulled it out and it was slightly shorter than the bar magnet that was in the Gibson 57 Classic. That doesn't mean anything. 
But what's important is it's really hard for small builders to get their hands on shorter bar magnets like that. Um, just like it's harder to get the crappier wire or the crappier components and pickups. Um, because usually on the scale we're buying, especially small builders and medium builders, you, you need you need a mass factory overseas to get something to downgrade the quality to get the to get the volume up. So a lot of times uh, inexpensive pickups aren't bad. They're just there's just things that have been done to them to make them cheaper and cost wise to manufacture. So uh, so what was I saying? Oh, so so basically the importance of this is um, back to the expensive pickups. When I take apart an expensive pickup, um, if I take it apart. I won't really learn anything because, yeah, they used a really good quality magnet that they, you know, right? And they use a really nice quality wire and they use really nice quality stuff because that's what they have access to. That, I mean, that's just the reality. You have to, you have to be a big company to pretty much get your hands on the crap, <laughs> the crappier wire, the crappier things. I mean, it's possible, but it's not easy. And it doesn't make sense at that level. It doesn't make sense to buy a cheaper, you know, material for, at the volume they do that at the end of the year, maybe sell it saves you a few hundred dollars and it potentially could have a bad experience with the customer that it equates to a, a bad sale. So I, uh, that's what you're usually buying when you're buying small builders, you're buying that they use better quality components. That's just how it works. It kind of works just like the restaurant industry, right? The chain restaurants have access to make downgrade the quality of the food where the, you know, that your, your small mom pop restaurant down the street, that's doing things that buying from the actual grocery stores, buying actual fruit and vegetables from grocery stores, buying from local markets. And, you know, they generally not going to have the, you know, the, the cheaper quality stuff. And there's exceptions to all that. So if anyone wants to point out the exceptions, I know they're out there, but so I hope that makes sense. So that's why I do that. Um, somebody just asked in the comment, this what threw me off. Somebody asked in the comment, what did I learn from the uh, uh, taking apart the lipstick pickup? I learned that pretty much it's just a single coil pickup. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, and that it does have a, a unique sound, but it's just because of the type. It's just using the magnet it uses. And obviously encasing it in the case, uh, you know, it changes a little bit. Just like a chrome cover on a pickup changes the pickup a little bit. And again, this is where people argue, uh, chrome cover on a pickup, I just could turn that. Yeah, you can, it's it's slight difference. Does it matter? No, let me put it this way. I would never, I would personally never remove or install a cover on a pickup for anything other than aesthetics. I can hear a slight difference if I compare them, but as I've always said, if you have to compare something to hear the difference, it probably doesn't matter, you know? That's what happens when somebody's like, oh, have you ever compared these two things? Do you hear a difference? Yeah, but only when I compare them, you know, and it's it's tough, you know, it's, t it's tough to justify that. James says, what are your thoughts on buying cheap guitars and turning them into insane instruments like turning a Ivy into a $2,000 equivalent or it's worth or even pop? Is it worth it or is it even possible? Yeah, well, I've done, I've done that video already, of course, right? Like everybody, I did the, uh, I took a Glary $75 guitar and I put stainless steel frets on it and I reshaped the neck. And um, I, like I said, invest in yourself is never a bad, a bad investment. I, in fact, by the way, Nathan's taking a repair class next month and he asked me if he should take a repair class even though he's been working on guitars and building guitars. Uh, for years. And I said, Nathan, uh, I'm talking to Nathan because I'm sure you might be listening. I said, Nathan, uh, you know, investing yourself is never a bad idea. 
Um, I literally make a living because I took the I made the decision to invest in myself. So I I can't knock that. Um, so that's what I think of when do when people say in the comments like why would you put this money into that guitar? Uh, that's a great question and very valuable question. Putting four five hundred dollars worth of stuff in a two hundred dollar guitar is not a great investment. However, what is a good investment is what you learn by doing that that could be a great investment for you. You could learn, is a $3,000 guitar all hype? You don't have to listen to me say it. Some YouTuber just randomly spitting out information. You know, you know, like, man, I've tried, I've tested it, I know. Is it hype? Is it real? You'll know. You'll know better than anybody else, than for yourself. And so um, anytime you can do something, and plus what, you know, you'll never regret that time. You know, I remember all the times um, <laughs> I had to fix my truck or work on a car or fix my own plumbing. And I look back and I always thought, man, what a waste of my time. What a waste of my life. That was young me thinking that. And now old me goes, looks back and go, that's like literally like, I don't regret any of that. I don't regret, I don't have a single solitary, horrible experience that I had to fix something. And I look back and go, wish I gave that time back. Um, no, I learned something every time. Now, if you ask me about the 50th time I had to do something that sucks, <laughs> yeah, I didn't enjoy that. But every time I learned something, I think um, I was better not only as a person, but, you know, um, I I like now that um, <laughs> I like now that I know some stuff. That's just, that's great. It feels great. It feels nice knowing stuff, you know, not knowing why something doesn't work and how to fix it. It's a great feeling. Or to better yet, um, I've said this before, and I also like knowing why I'm paying somebody to do it because I don't want to do it, and I know why I don't want to do it. <laughs> right? Um, that that's what's great. It's nice to know when somebody's charging me something that I can feel in my like I know right now when I'm paying. I'm like, yep, dude, you know why you did it? Because I've done it. I don't want to do it again. So, and uh, that's great. So again, so to answer your question, uh, is it worth it? That's what you have to ask yourself. Is it worth it? Uh, you know, it's your money. It's your time. If you have the money to spend and the time to give, I'd say do it. It's not the worst thing I you could do with your time. You know, heck, you could be just sitting around and listening to some bald guy talk for two hours. That could be, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> as all of the subscriptions drop, it just happens. It's the end of the channel as we know it. Um, they're like, no one thought I could do better things with my time than this. I never thought, um, Oh, uh, Ray said, any tips for self-relicking? So great question. I love it. All these years on the channel and you're the first person to ever ask me that question. And here's my tip first, because I, I, as you guys know, I did the, I did a couple of relic guitars on the channel. I did the, uh, you know, the beer caster and stuff. I did some relicking. And in that video, if you watch, I show you some of the tips and stuff I did, but here's a funny story. Um, cause I got it's an opportunity to tell a funny story and educate. So it's a win-win for me and hopefully for you guys. Um, Fender, um, as you guys know, Fender, when I was a Fender dealer, they wanted me to become a custom shop dealer. I wanted to do the custom shops that you see here, that like the Copper Strat, some more perfect looking guitars. My logic was at the time I had a bunch of customers that were into Charvels and like older people get, <laughs> they like the old 80s guitars, but they kind of like them to feel or be more vintage-y. And I was like, okay, let's make some hybrid of that. And What's funny about Fender is, and I'm sure it's gotten worse. It's one of those things I can't imagine it's gotten better. Man, all they wanted you to do as a custom shop dealer was buy all the Relic stuff. It's like buy Relic, buy Relic, buy Relic. 
And at that time, I had no idea what Relic was. I mean, I'd seen it, you know, like, uh, you know, kind of harken back to 2007. This is about 2007 when I became a custom shop uh, vendor dealer. Okay. So it wasn't like you saw it everywhere like you do now. And you sure didn't see a, a ton of it, right? There was the road-worn stuff that was pretty cool, but you didn't see it like you do now. And I was like, at the time, $3,000. It was $2,800 for a Relic Strat because you're referenced now they're like $5,000. And, um, hold on, I'm just pouring some water, guys. Give me a second. And, uh, Ralph, as you guys know, he was a partner in the store. And, uh, they really wanted me to sign this a commitment. It was a lot of guitars and a lot of money. A lot of money. And, um, and what's funny about this was, uh, Ralph and I were talking and we said, you know, this was crazy, uh, money. And I said, do people buy $3,000 strats that are all beat up? Like, it made me laugh. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, it didn't make sense. The whole reason to buy a Fender Strat was because it was affordable. <laughs> and now it's not affordable because it's beat up. Like, this doesn't make any sense. But yet all these dealers were successful with it. And I was like, I don't know. And it sounds so easy, right? Doesn't that sound so easy? To all you guys watching right now, you're like, oh, yeah, who do it? Don't do it. But it was at the time, it was $35,000 of our money up front in order right? We had to do this order. It was 35 grand. That's, that's the intro order. And then you're on commitment for a year, right? That's a lot of dude. That's a lot of dough, man. $35,000. I don't care what you make. That's crazy. Is your business $35,000? You're like, remember your brain's like, how do I get that back? I need that to come back and bring friends, right? <laughs> and, but more importantly, please come back 35,000 to $40,000 and uh, minimum. And so I was like, okay, how do you do this? So Ralph and I did this crazy thing it was a Saturday afternoon. It was about an hour before the store closed. It was really dead in the store. And Ralph wanted a, he still has it to this day. So, you know, I should have him take a picture and send it to me. Um, I will. And I'll show it to you next week. Yeah, I'll get him to it. He did a, uh, he had a, a P base. I think it was a P base or it might've been a Jaguar. I don't remember. I'll have to, but it was a highway one base, which is you remember the highways one stuff from Fender was uh, nitro satin finish instruments. And so he wanted, he said he would buy it. And I said, man, I kind of feel like we should try and see if we can relic a guitar on our own. Like is relic real? Like it can't you just beat up a guitar. And so we, he, Ralph put the money up. He's like, I'll buy the bass. And I'm like, all right, you know, and he'll pay you know, dealer cost. And I go, okay. So we took, took, <laughs> we took it apart and we took the body and we went in front of the store and me and him kicked it back and forth to each other on the pavement um, like a hockey puck, <laughs> like just back and forth. And then a customer came to buy strings or something. And they're like, what are you guys doing? And we're like, we're seeing how hard it is to relic something. And the customer's like, what the hell is wrong with these guys? We're just kicking this, you know, American Fender bass body back and forth. Um, and then we did all the things we learned. We learned that, you know, you take a um, muratic pool acid and we put it uh, like underneath it and we put the hardware in a bag and we hung it above the muratic pool acid and let the, the vapors like ruin the hardware. And then he used a, a, I forgot what we used, some kind of fire. Like, I don't know if it was a Zippo lighter or if we used a torch. Uh, and we, we relic this instrument. We did everything we learned. So here's what I'm going to tell you. It was hard. Ours looked like crap. <laughs> it did not look good. We learned that you just can't relic a guitar it's not so this is that story is to warn you that it is you need to prepare you need to observe um we have sun, since since then i have done a couple relics one, uh, one for a cost two for customers and one for a video and here's what i can tell you you better get a bunch of pictures of a relic a good relic version of your guitar you need to study them and how they do that it is not as easy as just beat it up okay 
And in people who tell you it is, they're lying because they're lying to themselves. Because we all know if you don't like Relic, that's fine. Okay. But whether you like Relic guitars or not, we all, both parties who think it's dumb and people who think it's amazing, have seen bad relics and how silly they look. They look silly. They look, I mean, if you, especially think about this, if you don't like relics when they look good, oh man, they really stick out when they don't look good, um, when they look weird. And um, and then, so you know, after becoming a customer shop dealer, uh, Ralph and I went to the Fender uh, factory and we spent the day there and we spent uh, the afternoon with the custom shop and we learned all about relicking and we learned um, it's a process and they have it down and somebody's like sandpaper 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 works right Tony's like sandpaper Tony sandpaper but also keychains you got to hit it you got to make dings but again you have to learn the process and more importantly is learn a couple of the relicking tricks. They're not that hard. Some of it is sanding. Some of it is freezing and heating the guitars, right? And heating and freezing the guitars to get them to crack. Some of it is as simple as, um, you know, just dings and dents and how to make them look accurate. But here's the trickier part. You have to have the right kind of finish. And this is the other part. Lacquer really does well, nitrocellulose lacquer. Polyurethane is really hard to relic because one, it doesn't scratch right. It doesn't fade. So if you take some steel wool or some some 400 grit sandpaper and you sand on it, it's just gonna look like somebody sanded on your car. Like it looks just like that. Imagine somebody walking your car. It's not gonna look like it's rusted. It's not gonna look worn. It's not, well, more importantly, not rusted, worn. It's not gonna look worn. It's gonna look sanded. So that's the problem is that if you use the wrong finish on your guitar, it will not relic correctly. The other thing is if you hit it and try to ding the guitar, sometimes the harder polyurethane finishes, cellophane finishes, um, and uh, polyester finishes, they, um, they crack. They're like chip and pieces fly off. And then it looks like exactly like that. It doesn't look relic. It looks like it owed you money and it didn't pay. <laughs> so... Um, so there, there you go. That's, that's my recommendations if you're going to try and do relicking. So I would look to, now, if you can't find a nitrocellulose body, a lacquer body, there is a tip I can give you if you go with a, a polyurethane style like finish, try to get a satin finish one and you could pull it off a little bit better than that. And I would highly stick to the sandpaper more so than impact on that stuff. All right, guys, on that note, I'm going to let you go. As always, uh, I want to thank you so much for your time. Till next time, know your gear.